Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to hang out with you guys this week. And uh, I always hate when it comes to Thursday night. I mean, I like Thursday night. We're still going to have fun and everything. But it's sad that tomorrow is the last day. And anybody else sad about that? Yeah. Well, you don't have to be too sad about it. We've still got a little bit of time left, which I think is really cool. Um, when, after I accepted Christ, I got involved with these guys who wanted to study the Bible more. And uh, specifically, there was this big dude in his 20s, and I was only like 15. So there's a bunch of us, and there was this older guy that they happened to know that knew the Bible well. He was Samoan, and, his, and we called him Taffy. I think his last name was Tafola or something. Um, but anyways, we called him Taffy, big dude and everything. And we'd bring our Bible, and then we would go through different things every week. And I was, I was learning a lot from it as a new believer in Christ. And I remember one time we went, and he, he was like, okay, we're going to read through this one parable. Have you guys heard of the Good Samaritan before? All right, so if you haven't, basically there's this parable Jesus told where he said a guy gets beat up, left for dead. He's like, they strip his clothes off, beat him down. He's just laying there. And then slowly, three different guys happen upon this guy, and they notice him. One of the guys is a Levite, which is the people who open the temple. He just walks by on the other side and leaves him alone. Another guy um, is a priest, and like he should have been the one to be like, oh my gosh, like the local pastor runs over, like, let me help you, dude. Now he walks by on the other side too. And then finally, Jesus says a Samaritan comes by and helps the guy. And the thing about the Samaritans, Jesus is telling this story to somebody who is asking him who his neighbor is. Who should I love? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who should that be? And Jesus tells him this story, and the Samaritans are the people they hated. The Samaritans were part Jewish and they were part Canaanite, which means they worshiped other idols and things like that. That's kind of how their family line got started off. But a lot of the Samaritans had tried to worship God again, and the Jews wouldn't even let them come to the temple. Like, you can't come to church this week. You're a Samaritan. They hated them. So Jesus told this story about the guy not just helping him, but then he took him to this inn and he bandaged his wounds and he put like ointment on the wounds and everything. And then he paid the innkeeper to help him with any more medical expenses until he returns and he would pay for the room and he would pay for all the medical expenses. And then Jesus turns to the guy and says, who is the neighbor to the man? And the man says, the guy who helped him. He doesn't even say the Samaritan. He can't even bring himself to say it. Well, he's telling us the story. And he said, I'm just going to read through it and then I'm going to give you each like five bucks in, in your group, all right? And you guys, we all drove at that point. Not all of us, I was 15, but I had a friend who drove. And we're all going to go up to Food Lion. And you guys probably don't have Food Lion, but think whatever shoppers or giant or whatever you have here. Food Lion's a grocery store where I live. And um, you're going to go up to Food Lion with this five bucks, and you're going to buy something that has to do with the story we just read. And the one who gets closest to the accuracy of the story wins. And all I'm hearing is competition. We're going to do this. We're going to win this. I get my three friends together. I'm like, all right, all right, let's read through this again. We read through the Bible story real quick. We're like, okay, we're looking for physical items we can buy at Food Lion. Bandages. We can get band-aids. Oil and wine he poured on. Well, we definitely can't get wine. We're like 15 and 16. So we can't get that. Oil or what? That's probably like hydrogen peroxide now. Maybe we get hydrogen peroxide we'd put on there the equivalent of what they did. Let's go. So we get in the car. The first, you're supposed to be back. You get points for being back first and you get points for accuracy. 
So we get into Food Lion. There's another car that had got there before us. And as we're getting close to the Band-Aids in the first aid little section by the aspirin and stuff like that, there's another group running past us with a box of Band-Aids. And I'm like, they're going to check out before us. And even if they didn't, it's the same thing. We can't bring back the same thing. There's no points for that. No creativity. So then we go grab the hydrogen peroxide. We get almost up to the counter, and I see another one of our groups going like this, like bloop, bloop, across there with the hydrogen peroxide. I'm like, oh, gosh, this is stupid. You know, so me and my three friends walk back. We're in the first aid section, and we're just kind of scratching our heads. One of them's like, what about olive oil? I'm like, that's dumb. Um, you wouldn't use olive oil to help somebody nowadays and everything. So finally, we're like, okay, whatever. We're not going to see this. We're not going to win this. And then we look over, and there's the little Krispy Kreme stand with the dozen donuts things near the register. And, I, and it hit me. I was like, this doesn't have to be a total waste. We're obviously not going to win this contest, but we could get some donuts out of it. We do have the five bucks. And five bucks wouldn't buy a dozen Krispy Kremes now, but it would when I was growing up. And so, like, we got the dozen Krispy Kreme donuts that was probably like four fifty at the time. And we went and we bought it. Part of me is feeling really guilty because it's not even my money. But he said, here, buy whatever you want at Food Line that will go with the story. So we're rationalizing it in our head. And we walk outside and we're slitting the little part of the box to reach in and grab a donut. And we see this guy laying by the Pepsi machine. And he's covered with a newspaper. And he doesn't, we can smell him from where we are. And there's this, this homeless guy He's shoeless. It's in the fall. It's pretty cold outside. And he's just sleeping there and everything. And everything in me feels horrible about the fact that we just did this with Taffy's money. And now we have these donuts. And so my friend is like, hey, let's give him the donuts or give him a donut is what I was thinking. Like one. You don't have to give this guy 12 donuts. What's he going to do with 12 donuts? There's four of us. You know, I'm rationalizing not giving him a donut, but they kind of elect me to go over and like poke him, wake him up. So I'm like, I'm like, excuse me, nothing. Excuse me. And then I'm thinking, oh no, is this guy dead? And I barely poke him on the shoulder and he stirs and the newspaper drops off of him and he sits up like he's scared of us. And he's got this old scruffy looking beard and everything. It doesn't look like he's shaved in weeks and he's dirty. And I was like, I wanted to know if you wanted to have these. I just found myself handing him the dozen donuts. And he immediately, like he sat it on the ground in front of him and grabbed one in each hand and started biting it like this, like he hadn't eaten in forever. And we were just kind of like dumbfounded. And he's trying to say thank you with his mouthful and everything. We're like, hey, don't worry about it, man. We got to get back. We get in the car. We roll in. We sit down with everybody else, and we're in our little group. And Taffy walks in, he's smiling ear to ear. He's like, all right, let's see what you guys got at Food Lion. He's like, what do you guys got over here? It's like, oh, peroxide. Yeah, he did put stuff on the wounds, man. Good call, good call. What do you got? Band-Aid. There were several groups with Band-Aids, so good call. We didn't buy those. Band-Aids. Yeah, he bandages wounds, man. Yeah, what else you guys got? And he goes all the way through, and we're like dead silent. He's like, Nate. What'd you guys do? I was like, we didn't, we didn't find anything. Then you got my money, right? He's a big dude. I'm like, like tattoos and all that. I'm like, he kind of reminded me of uh, like from Moana, the rock. Anyway, so like just a big dude. 
And um, so I was like, uh, we spent it. On what? We bought a dozen donuts. Oh, so you got a donut for me with my money. I'm like, no, they're gone. He's like, let me get this straight. I give you money as an object lesson for a Bible story. You go to Food Lion. You four buy donuts. I assume you each have three. And you don't even save me one. That's what I'm supposed to hear? I'm like, yeah, I guess so. I wasn't even thinking about the connection to the actual story in the Bible in this competition. And right through the back door, the homeless guy walks in, still holding the box of donuts and kind of chewing a lot slower on them. This is one of Taffy's friends that he asked to not bathe for a week. He stayed outside for a week in his backyard in a tent. He let his beard grow out a couple weeks prior to that. He was dirty from being out there, all for an object lesson for this Bible study. And Taffy said, yeah, actually, Nate, you guys, you almost did the wrong thing, but in the last moment, you noticed somebody who was in need, and you met the needs. This is the only group. Everybody else walked right past this person, didn't even notice, as you're walking out with your Band-Aids and your peroxide and so forth. And it really, it hit me in the moment. It taught me something forever that I'll never, ever forget. It's not about crossing every T and dotting every I and trying to be good and trying to do the right things that the Bible says in the right order. It's about the heart of Jesus in us. And for those of you who stood yesterday and said, you know, I gave my life to Christ out there in the field, it's not over now. Like God wants to weave you further into this tapestry and make you part of something beautiful. And so tonight we're talking about the fringe, that outside edging when they've not completed the tapestry yet where there's still more to be done. And that God wants us to bring more people into this tapestry, this kingdom tapestry. It's kind of like where I live is the headquarters of Lowe's Home Improvement. Do you guys have those here? Lowe's Home Improvement stores. All right. So like their their slogan, I think I have it. We can throw it up there, uh, is never stop improving. That is like a depressing slogan for a homeowner. Because there's always something to be done, always something breaking down. My wife wanted Borden Batten. Do you guys even know what Borden Batten is? Do I have a picture of Borden Batten? I don't think I do. Anyways, um, she wanted Borden Batten, which is basically just adding some boards on the way upstairs to make it look square-like, and then we'll paint the whole stupid thing white. It adds nothing to the home other than ambiance of like, ooh, you put a Borden Batten. (laughs) Anyways, I mean, like, I, I, I had to do that. And then, like, our deck, part of the deck was rotting. I had to pull that up, put it down. seems like every time you fix something, there's something else to fix. That's depressing in that instance, but it's, it's really, honestly, what we're supposed to be like as Christians, that God's never done working on us. There's not a point where he's like, oh, Nate's godly enough now. We can leave him alone and just let him be. No, there's not a point where God's done working on me and where he's He's done helping me to help other people and growing me too so that I can be helped because I'm never above that. It's like the, the church, what he calls the body of Christ, is this unfinished product that we're not supposed to finish. We're supposed to be calling more and more people into it. So yesterday I told you guys about Ricky and Randy. And... You know, I haven't stopped since that instance in my life telling people about Jesus. 
But I'm going to be honest with you, the first couple of years, even while I was involved in this Bible study with Taffy, a lot of the reason I told people about Jesus was guilt. Like I couldn't get over the fact that there were two people that I would never see again that God had laid on my heart to tell about Jesus, and I did nothing with that. I couldn't get over it. And I spent my Fridays and my Saturdays, Kmart was a thing back then, prior to Walmart, um, at Kmart, in the parking lot, talking to random people about Jesus, knocking on doors in neighborhoods I hadn't been in yet. My goal was to knock on like every door in our city. And I would spend hours just randomly talking to people. And some people like to really actually randomly talk. You, f- you find some crazy people if you're going to go and just knock on doors. When there's four or five cats trying to get out, you know this is going to be a long conversation, right? And so I'm like talking to all these people and trying to tell them about Jesus. But a lot of it had to do with like, oh no, what if somebody else is at that point where they're hopeless and they don't come to know Jesus? And it was just like, I wasn't letting Christ just live through me and naturally bring things up in conversation. I was trying to work and work and work so that God could find approval in me because he probably wasn't too happy about what happened. That was my mindset. Well, by the time I got in college, I was a freshman in college, and my brother had become best friends with Randy's little brother. Now, neither one of them were even in middle school when Randy took his life. I mean, excuse me, in high school when Randy took his life. So they didn't know about me and Randy and our middle school years and all. It's not something I went around talking about. And Mark, his little brother, would come over to our house on a regular basis. And my brother, he's my brother, you know? Like, a little brother's kind of annoying. You don't usually want to hang around them and their friends and stuff. But whenever Mark came over, I would, like, get out pizza pockets and Doritos, and Mountain Dew, and I'd constantly be going to my brother's room where they're playing video games, and I'd be like, hey, Mark, can I get you anything, man? Can I refill that? Can I top that off? Can I? My brother's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? You're creeping us out. Like, you've never done this with any of my friends. He's like, we're fine. I'm like, you might be fine. How about Mark? Can I get you some, Mark, that looks like an uncomfortable position. Let me get you a throw pillow. Like, my, my brother's like, what is wrong with you? He actually confronted me one time in the kitchen. He's like, leave us alone. Why are you acting so creepy around Mark? I'm like, no, I just, Mark's a cool kid. But you're not being hospitable enough, and I'm just trying to help. So to make up for it, I tried to be nicer to my brother's other friends so I wouldn't look like a weirdo. It just made me look weirder. Anyways, so my brother told me a story that happened when I was gone for the weekend one time. It's probably my, by now, I'm probably a sophomore in college, maybe a junior. My brother said that he wanted to go over and hang out with Mark, and Mark's parents were out of town for the weekend. They weren't trying to do anything stupid. He wasn't throwing a house party or anything. He was just going to go get him and see if he wanted to go eat or play golf or bowl or go to a movie or whatever. And so he goes to Mark's house. He sees Mark's car is the only one in the driveway. It should be. His parents are out of town. And he goes and he knocks on the door, and nobody answered the door. And my brother started to walk back to the car. There's something about my little brother that I've always admired. He's one of my heroes, even though he's my little brother. He's always been more sensitive to God's leading than I have. Like, sometimes I feel like God would have to hit me with a two-by-four to get my attention. <laughs> like, it's like, Nate, nope. You know, I mean, not that God's out to hit you with two-by-fours. I'm just saying, I can be thick-headed at times. But my brother's very, like, his spirit's very soft to that. If God's leading him somewhere, he just does it. 
I'm like, why did you do that? He's like, I just really felt like God wanted me. It's like, I, I really admired that about him. And so my brother felt like, no, he's home, knock again. So my brother goes back up, knocks on the door, nothing. But because he felt kind of prompted in his, in his spirit to keep knocking, he started knocking more, and pretty soon he didn't realize he was even doing it, but he's beating on the door. That's when he kind of came to himself. It's like, I probably shouldn't be beating on this guy's door. Neighbors could see. They might call the police or whatever. And it was at that moment that the door opened and Mark was just standing there. And he said, what are you doing here, Isaiah? My brother looked at him and said, just in the moment, feeling God leading him, he said, I'm here to lead you to Jesus. And Mark broke, just began weeping and gave his life to Christ right there on the, on the stoop. Now what my brother didn't know in that moment until after he gave his life to Christ and he took him in the house See, not only had Randy taken his life, their uncle a year before that had taken his life. Manic depression ran in their family. And Mark was struggling with it as well. So Mark waited for that weekend for his parents to go out of town. And he took his dad's gun and he brought it into the bedroom where he was. And he lined the entire room with plastic because he didn't want his parents to have to clean anything up. When he held that gun to his head, there was a knock at the door. And he put the gun down because he didn't want to disturb anybody that might come upon that scene. And he waited and the knock, sure enough, went away and he put the gun back to his head. At that point, the knock started again and when it became frantic, Mark, even though he felt hopeless, he was a nice guy. Like he really was. He thought, maybe somebody's in trouble. Maybe one of my neighbors needs help. And even in a moment of hopelessness, he still cared about other individuals. And so he came to the door and it was my brother there bringing the hope of Jesus into Mark's life. And Mark's still following God today as a result of that. And when my brother told me that, I broke in my living room, just sitting there with him. I'm crying my eyes out. My brother had never heard the story about Randy and Ricky. And I started telling him, although I don't, I'm not sure he could understand what I was saying. I was crying so hard. It was like God took this weight off my shoulders in that moment to pull it off of me and say, Nate, if I can use your little brother to lead his little brother to me, I can do anything. I don't need you to work harder and harder and harder. I just need you to be available. I just need you to be, you to be available. And in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this to us. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children... And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says, just follow me the way that I've laid this out. Help other people come into this relationship with me. The end goal, Revelation 7-9. I kind of alluded to this the other day. John is seeing this vision that God's giving him, one of the disciples, John. He says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. 
This is that picture of people worshiping God because he saved them from their sin and from their selves. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' disciples ask him a question. They say, okay, when is, because he had been talking about the fact that Israel wasn't going to last forever, Jerusalem would be destroyed. And they're really curious. They didn't know it would be, I mean, it was soon. Like after Jesus left, within 40 years, Rome was like, we've had enough of the rebellion here. They just demolished Jerusalem. And so they're like, Jesus, tell us when the destruction of Jerusalem will be. Tell us when you're coming back. And when is the end of the world? I mean, that's just a couple small questions, camp-related questions, right? To Jesus, we just have some simple things. Not like, why did my mom say this? Or, the, or why did I get a broken? No, they're like, no, 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 Jesus, just tell us about the end of our country, your return, and the end of the world, just some easy questions. And Jesus, it's so cool because a lot of people get hung up on Jesus' answer in Matthew 24. And they're like, oh, here's the signs. Jesus said, there's going to be earthquakes all over the place in random places. The end is not yet. But people are like, ooh, earthquakes, that's a sign. He said the end is not yet when there's earthquakes, but whatever. He said there'll be wars and rumors and wars, but do not worry that is not the end. Like, wars and rumors are wars. That's, just, that's always happening, right? Jesus gets down to the nitty-gritty of it, as Nacho Libre would say, nitty-gritty. If you haven't seen that, that's your homework. Okay. And then Jesus says in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He says, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for more and more and more people to be those ones. God bless you, I think. Unless there's an animal in here. Wow. That's not good for my ADHD LMNOP. All right. Jesus is waiting for more people to be in that vision that John had to see more and more people before the throne of God. That's the end goal. And so you might be kicking yourself, and yesterday... When we, when we went outside and we did business with God and some of you guys decided to give your life to Christ, I was talking to a counselor at dinner who said eight of her girls came to Christ. Blows my mind. Awesome. And so many of you guys decided to step out of death and into life. And you might be thinking to yourself now, Wednesday's past. Maybe you've even been to River Valley and you see how this works. Like we, we kind of build this case for the whole week, and then we share how you can come to Christ on Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday kind of go, and you leave, and we encourage you to keep walking in them, and maybe you're kicking yourself, and you're saying, oh, I was supposed to give my life to Christ, and I didn't. I wonder if God would even accept me now. It's not about an orchestrated time that we can give you, or the right patch of grass to sit in. It's about your heart, and at any moment, you can step into this relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. And for those of you who have stepped into this relationship, I want to I share with you how to weave more people into those textiles. You see, because they used wool, they used all kinds of different types of things in textiles back then. They did it on purpose, and they still do, for strength, for luminosity, so that you can see it from a distance. There's all, it, it takes everybody. And God wants everybody, not just your friends and your family, the people you go to school with, but your enemies too. That's why he told the story of the Good Samaritan, that there's nobody beyond God's reach. The best thing you can do for an enemy is to lead them to Jesus, because he'll make them a new person. And they might be somebody you like from now on. 
how you bring somebody else in is, is a simple picture like this. It's, you might think, I don't know all this scripture and stuff that you're reading, and I don't get all of this. I don't know where everything is in the Bible. I just gave my life to Jesus. Then your story is simply this, and it's shaped like a cross so you can remember it. This is who I was, and don't dwell so much on that, but you got to tell people who you were before. This is what Jesus did. Share that Jesus died on the cross for you and that he rose from the dead to make you new, and this is who I am now. Just a little bit of that change. That's the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection for Christ, of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And once you've been forgiven, you're part of that. There are two things in the book of Revelation that says that overcome our enemy. It's the blood of the lamb, that's what Jesus did for you, and the word of our testimony. Your story of how Jesus saved you helps overcome Satan. That's how amazing that is. Because it's not just, see, the, the blood of the lamb is not a powerful thing if it doesn't save anybody, right? If it's just Jesus' blood and it did nothing. The fact that it saves you shows its power. And once it saved you from your sins and made you new, the word of your testimony is that second bullet <laughs> that takes Satan down. It's a thing that, that renders him useless because people look and they're looking for fake they're looking to see, well, that, that guy never changed. Like my friend Matt. If, if I looked at Matt and saw him live exactly like he lived before, instead of taking a couple punches to the face in a supernatural way, because he followed Jesus now, I wouldn't have followed Jesus probably. But I saw Jesus change somebody's life. Stephanie wouldn't have come back to me two years later, who I had ridiculed and bullied, if she hadn't seen that my life had actually been changed. Who you were, what Jesus did, and who you are now is part of that beautiful tapestry that God is weaving through to make this picture that will catch somebody's eye to say, wait a minute, there's something about that that's different than anything I've ever experienced. Those pictures we showed this morning when Rocket was talking of the dorm room tapestry versus the other, and somebody up here said that it was, you know, that one kind of looks better, but I know the other one is better. That was deep, deeper than you thought. Was that you? That was probably deeper than you thought of what you were saying because it's so much easier to stay in the comfort of what we have and know, I, yeah, I know who's in charge here. It's me of my own life than to give over control to somebody else and to step into something bigger than ourself, much bigger than ourself. Let me pray for you guys. And if you... Um, have not accepted Jesus Christ, and you're like, you know what, that should have been me, I want to challenge you to go to your counselors tonight and have that conversation. To be bold enough to bring it up in front of your small groups and be like, hey, um, I should have been one of those people who stood yesterday, one of those people who gave their life to Christ. Can you guys tell me how to do that? And if you just gave your life to Christ, you should be able to tell them how to do that. One guy said one time, it's one beggar showing another beggar where they found the bread. Just explain how you got there who you were, what Jesus did, and who you are now, and help somebody else become part of that tapestry because he has not sealed off the edges. If there's still a fringe there because God wants more and more and more people in his kingdom. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for these students. Lord, for all of those who gave their life to Christ, Lord, I pray that you would get them deep into your word, that you'd bring other believers around them that can sharpen them. 
God, that if they're not involved in a church, that they would find a church that preaches your word, that they would be able to say, hey, I, I, I need help. I want to grow in my faith. Lord, that if they've already got a place like that, they got people who pour into them, that they would, they would look at their friends and the people you've placed them around and see them as somebody for whom you died, that we would start those conversations. And Lord, for those who might be listening to the sound of my voice right now, who've not stepped into that relationship, that tonight might be the night that they start that, that they can pull aside a leader or they can have that conversation in small groups and they can make that right with you and get that sin that's holding them back, that barrier of hostility that Ephesians says, and break it down so that they can be friends with the God who created them. Thank you so much for what you've done and what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. It's been an honor um, to be your speaker this week. Love you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.